Hi, I'm Terry Modica, and I want to welcome you into A Pilgrimage of the Soul, a podcast retreat from Good News Ministries of GNM.org. You are entering into a mystical union with Christ, based on the mysteries of the Rosary, for your daily life. This retreat was recorded in New Zealand during a live conference. I invite you to make each episode part of a personal retreat. Set aside time to reflect on what the Holy Spirit is revealing to you. Do the spiritual exercises that are provided in these podcasts. Let's begin with a prayer to open yourself to all that the Holy Spirit wants to reveal to you. Pray with me. Come, Holy Spirit, renew me. Come, Holy Spirit, fill me. Come, Holy Spirit, teach me. Help me to receive more of the Father's love and healing from Jesus my Savior. Come, Holy Spirit, you have my permission to change me. Our hardships hide Jesus, don't they? We need to look within the hardships to see that Jesus is right there with us, walking the hardships with us. This is when our soil, our humus, our fertile soil is being watered once again. This whole joyful mysteries that we live through is a cycle that just keeps repeating itself over and over again. In the midst of hardships, the best advice I can give you to find Jesus again, something that I learned in my own life, and I made it my personal motto. You will see it on my, in my signature in emails. You will see it on my website and, my, and in my reflections. Keep your eyes on Jesus. If you're feeling frustrated or lonely, stressed out, it's because you're looking at the source of your stress, the source of your pain, instead of at Jesus. We need to keep Jesus first and foremost in our sight. To do that, we have to start out the day, dedicating the day to God, asking Jesus to be with us, asking Jesus to reveal his presence to us. We need to have a prayer life, a really solid prayer life that the hardships don't distract us from. And the best way to do that is to pick a time and a place that you make a habit of your prayer room. I gave you last night an imagery method of, of making a sacred place within yourself that you can meet Jesus in that sacred place. Always keep that same image. Don't, every time you pray, invent a whole different scenario in which you meet him. Keep that same place because you need the time for it to deepen and become more permanent so that you can face the trials and still be able to go to that place and not be distracted by the trials. You also need to have a time and a place in your home or someplace where this is just Jesus and you time. You know, if you're in a very big family, a very busy family, and a lot of distractions there, the toilet's always a good place for that. Pick any place you can. For me, it's when I have my first morning tea. I like to be alone with Jesus. I like to go, if, if, it's, if the weather's good for it, I will go, even if it's only half good for it, I will go outside and sit in nature, sit 
even if I'm not in nature, if I can see a tree, I'm looking at that tree because that nature is connecting me. Help, it's a visual, or it's a, a mental connection, it's a visual thing that mentally connects me to Jesus. And because I made a habit of that, when I am being stressed out by something, all I have to do is look at a tree or look at nature, and I'm like, ah, yeah, Jesus, you're here with me. Makes a big difference. But it only happens if you make a habit of it. When it's easy to do it, do it repeatedly every day. Make it a habit so that when it's hard and distracting to do it, it's, it may, that habit is what gets you through and gets you back into that unity with Jesus despite the distractions. Now, every time we go through this cycle of these joyful mysteries in our lives, we're growing stronger. Our sprouts, our trees, our sprouts that are becoming trees are growing stronger. In looking at ourselves as trees, as I was praying this morning about what did the Lord want to sh- me to share specifically with you, the Lord gave me the word that his healing balm is already going out in this place to you. And he gave me the image of that orchard that I mentioned. But this time it was, you are the trees in the orchard. And some of you have roots that are infected, and Jesus is healing that this weekend. Some of you have weak roots, and Jesus is strengthening them this weekend. Some of you have have full-grown trees, but your trunk has been scarred. Somebody's chopped at you, at your life. And Jesus is healing that scar. Some of you have, are, are the leaves. You have leaves that have been um, bitten by a cold frost or have been infected. Maybe a caterpillar has been chewing away at, at your life. And Jesus is healing those leaves the healing balm has already started to go out. Now, you have all heard, probably, to, to get into a place of joy, we need to remember what joy stands for. Jesus, others, you. How many of you have heard that saying? Well, forget it. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. I don't like the Jesus, others, you. It's not scriptural. It's not holy. Because in order for us to minister to others, really what it should be is J-Y-O. We have to be first and foremost ministered to by Jesus. We have to have our relationship with Jesus the first and top priority of our lives above everything else, above all other relationships. We have to spend time building that relationship with Jesus. We have to be close to Jesus in order for him to heal us, nourish us, teach us, train us, strengthen us. Whatever we give to others, we first have to receive from Jesus. We cannot give what we have not received. So in looking for a new way of looking at J-O-Y, I came up with this. Jesus, our yoke. You know how Jesus said, 
My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Come and be joined to my yoke. Well, I had to ask, Lord, the yoke seems mighty heavy to me. Who wants to be bearing up a yoke? And Jesus showed me this. He said, are you doing this alone or are you doing this with me? It's my yoke you're supposed to take upon yourself. And if I look at us as two oxen, and I'm allowing Jesus to lead the way, and I'm just walking along beside him, the yoke is easy. The burden is light because Jesus is directing our walk, because Jesus is carrying the bulk of the weight. It's when I try to go in a different direction, pulling away from what Jesus is trying to lead me into, that it becomes painful, a burden, not light, not easy. So if you're on a path and you're struggling and you're wrestling and you're coming up against all kinds of obstacles and you're trying to keep moving forward and you're moving forward and you're not getting anywhere. It's because Jesus is saying, no, this way, this way. Follow me. I also like to think of how um, after Jesus' resurrection, they're out fishing and they're fishing all night. Do you remember that story? They don't catch anything. And Jesus says, throw your net on the other side. Duh. How many times is Jesus telling us, each of us, duh, the other side. (laughs) The other side, lady. The other side, my beloved. Do something different. You'll find what you're looking for if you look that way instead of that way, if you walk with me that way instead of that way. Now, the reason why those apostles were fishing one way, throwing the net one way, is because this is what they were trained to do. They had a system. There was a huge net, and they had to gather different parts of it together, and they toss it in one accord, and the muscle, they did it the way that was easiest for their muscles to do it. We like to go the easiest way, don't we? The way that feels most natural and comfortable to us. And Jesus is saying, duh, is that working? No, so now go against what feels natural and throw your net on the other side. And that's when we get the abundant catch of fish. Joy is supposed to be a normal part of God-centered life. If you look at the scripture handout I gave you, the joyful scriptures, These are a selection, a small, small selection of scriptures that tell us that joy is supposed to be a normal part of Christian life. But I want to draw your attention right now to the one towards the bottom, Psalm 100. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. We've been doing that here, haven't we? And it's made a difference in our spirits, hasn't it? Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made you, and you are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. In other words, the joy comes from knowing that the Lord is good and his love endures forever, and his faithfulness continues through all generations. He is not faithful to somebody else and not you. He's faithful to all of us. 
And if he doesn't seem faithful, it's because we're struggling with the yoke to go this way when Jesus is trying to go that way, or we're casting our nets this way when we need to cast it that way. Notice what I say in the box to the right of that. The word Eucharist means thanksgiving. This scripture, Psalm 100, is telling us that we should enter his gates with thanksgiving. We should enter his gates in the spirit of the Eucharist. The Eucharist, the celebration of Mass, is supposed to be a joyful experience. Why do you think the church calls it the celebration of Mass? We cannot truly worship. We cannot truly worship the Lord if we don't do it with a spirit of joy. No matter what's going on, if our lives are centered on Christ and we allow him to yoke himself to us, if we have our prayer life solidly going, then Mass, no matter what's going on, is a time of you walk into the doors of the church, you leave behind whatever struggles, trials you're going through for an hour or whatever the length of that Mass is. If it's a daily Mass, it might be a half an hour. If it's a charismatic Mass, it might be three hours. (laughs) Praise the Lord for that. We walk in as individuals needing time with the Lord. The first song, the whole Mass is built to be a healing experience for us and for the whole world. And I'll show you how that happens. The first thing that the church has us do, and this goes all the way back to the very beginnings of the Catholic Church with the first apostles who were using the Jewish Seder, the Passover meal, as the new celebration of the Lord, the new covenant, the Eucharistic banquet. We enter Mass with a song that gathers us all together. The song is meant to be sung by everyone not just the choir, because it is a gather, it's called a gathering song, that we are being gathered into the body of Christ on earth. We are being gathered into a community of communion. The word communion means with union, not just with Jesus, but with all the church, which is why going to confession first is so important, because when we go to confession, the priest is there representing Jesus. And we're going to have an opportunity for that beautiful sacrament after this talk. The priest is not a man who is hearing our sins and is remembering it afterwards and going, hmm, I remember what she did last time. (laughs) The priest is in persona Christi, the official term the church gives to who the priest is, in the person of Christ, no matter how bad of a sinner he was, and I learned this in my relationship with Father Ed, no matter what he's doing that's wrong, I don't care what it is, while he is doing something sacramental, his holy orders do something supernatural so that it is Jesus that is doing it, not that sinful man or that imperfect man or that limited human being. In the sacrament of reconciliation, it is Jesus who comes to us through him And the priest is in persona Christi. But the priest is more than that. The priest also is standing in for the body of Christ that's on earth, which is the whole church. And really, because God created everybody in the whole world, 
The priest is standing in for everybody in the whole world who we ever sinned against, and our sins always have a ripple effect. It never affects just one person. We can never go to everybody and apologize to everybody when we realize we've sinned against them. And maybe there's some people we don't, who we have the opportunity to do that with and we just don't want to because they'll use it against us. Jesus doesn't want us to be victims. Yes, and we'll get into that later today. We are to go the extra mile and love our enemies and that sort of thing. But what I'm talking about is Jesus provides ways for us to not be victimized by others. And one of those ways is the priest in confession sits in for everybody that we've wounded through our sin. And since we can't go to everybody in that ripple effect, that's mighty important. The, that, that sacrament of reconciliation brings us back into communion, wholeness with the body. That unity is built up so that when we go to Mass, when we are celebrating the Eucharist with thanksgiving, when we are uniting ourselves to Jesus, we are also free now to unite ourselves. We are, as a matter of fact, we're already united to everybody else through that sacrament of a confession. But in some places I've seen where they'll have confession right after Mass, and it doesn't count for today. This is what I'm about to say. If this, for today's retreat, we have a, an order of things that we need to do, and we need to start with Mass, but we also some, need to find some way to fit in this sacrament of reconciliation. But in your normal church, I don't like it when I see the priest hearing confessions after Mass is over, because if we take seriously what the Eucharist is, we already have that healing, unless it's a mortal sin that we're confessing. Venial sins are wiped away through the, the, the penance prayers at the beginning of Mass, through the Lord, I am not worthy to receive you, or soon, I am not worthy for you to come un, under my roof. I am not worthy for you to come into me now and go home with me. It's a unity that takes place when we receive Jesus in the Eucharist and we do it consciously and we're aware of what we're doing and we're aware of during the penance rites, yes, Lord, I really am a sinner. And we're healed and we move on into the healing that comes from being in community, the healing that comes from receiving Jesus in the Eucharist. That's why we don't need to go to confession afterwards because if we're paying attention, we're getting it all right there in Mass. The Eucharist, the celebration of Mass, is supposed to be a celebration because of all this wonderful stuff that happens. The healing with our brothers and sisters, the, the healing of, of our wounds as we, we go to Jesus in the Eucharist and say, I'm not worthy, but heal me. It's a healing time if we are awake and alert and paying attention and using it. Every prayer consciously, it should be a celebration. It's meant to be a celebration. It is called, we are called to celebrate. I don't like it when I hear the responsorial psalm, Alleluia, or the gospel acclamation, Alleluia, Alleluia. Is that celebration? We cannot worship without a spirit of joy and celebration. It's not true worship without it. I'm going to teach you a prayer that the Lord taught me. The, I, actually, it's probably the Blessed Mother who taught it to me. 
that helps get us through the, the transition from, oh, these problems are weighing me down, and my focus is on those problems, to my focus is on Jesus, and I have hope, and I have joy, even with this stuff going on. And the joy comes from knowing, by the way, the joy comes from knowing that Jesus is there in the midst of the problem, and he works all things together for good. Romans eight twenty eight. All things work together for good for those who love the Lord. There's the source of joy. No matter what's going on in my life, God is somehow going to use this for good, for me, for the other people who are involved in this mess, for the people that I'm going to minister to because of what I've learned. The Lord is going to make all kinds of good fruits come from the rotting fruits. That's the key to joy, is knowing who Jesus is, how much he really cares about you, and I hope I got through to you last night about how much he cares about you, how precious you are to him. So to get my focus back on that Jesus and that reason for joy, here's the prayer that the Blessed Mother taught me. It's the Magnificat. And I'm going to show you how the Lord taught me how to pray the Magnificat to be this transformative prayer. If you want to, to look it up yourself, that's in Luke 1, verses 46 to 56. The Lord has done great things for me. This is the key to getting ourselves back to focusing on Jesus instead of the problem of the moment. The Magnificat, adapted by this prayer, goes like this. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and is doing great things for me and will do great things for me and through me, for holy is his name. See, we need to be reminded, first of all, that he has done great things for us. We need to reflect on the miracles he's already done for us, the healings he's given us in the past, the problems he's helped us solve in the past. And then we need to say, but he hasn't changed. He is still doing these great things for me. Even I'm, though I may not at the moment see what he's doing, he hasn't quit trying, he hasn't quit being busy about it. Because he is faithful and he is eternal and he's always working for our benefit. Because he loves doing that. He just delights in being able to make your lives better and give you a smile on your face. Because it's that smile that not only lights up your life, but it lights up the world around you. I mean, when you're grouchy because you're in pain, are you revealing Jesus to others? What's the spirit you're passing on to others around you? More grouchiness, huh? But the smile is God's instrument. The smile is God's instrument of healing for the world. Your smile is Jesus' smile. When others look at your smile, they're seeing Jesus smiling at them. They may not recognize Jesus in you. They may not recognize Jesus, period. But you are delivering Jesus to them with your joy, with your peace, with your hope. So we need to get back into that. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. He is doing great things for me. And he will do great things for me. 
because he doesn't change, he doesn't stop caring. He doesn't stop delighting in bringing joy to my life. And the next phrase is very important, and we'll go into that more this afternoon. And through me, he is doing great things through me. A hint at what we'll cover during the sorrowful mysteries. It is when our sufferings become a ministry that helps others who are similarly suffering. Our pain no longer is pointless and so painful. Pain doesn't feel so bad when we can see there's value in it. Just like giving birth to a child. The labor pains can be very intense and can last a long time, but we do it willingly and there's a spirit of joy even while we're crying out, ah, don't ever do this again to me, dear husband. <laughs> but we're joyful because we know a new life is coming into the world. This child that we have loved within our womb is now going to be in our arms very soon. When we know that our pain is going to be something that the Lord uses for others' benefit, there's value in it, there's hope in it, there's joy again. So that's why I added to this prayer. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, is doing great things for me, will do great things for me, and through me, for holy is his name. Make that your morning prayer, or your frustration prayer, or your yearnings and tearful prayer, especially when you're yearning and tearful. Thank you, and I'll see you later. You've been listening to Terry Modica of Good News Ministries. For more faith builders, or to learn more about this ministry, come visit our website at gnm.org. You'll find online resources and lots more to help you know the Father's love and grow closer to Christ and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Visit gnm.org today.